Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello there, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. And so it will be just me and our very special guest, Dr. Tam Cummings. She is a gerontologist. Dr. Cummings provides private consultation and education services to families, extensive education courses for nurses, social workers, administrators, activity directors, marketers, and others. She's worked in dementia communities for more than two decades, giving her firsthand experience with persons with dementia, their struggles and behaviors, and the frustrations families and professionals face daily. She has a master's uh, degree from Baylor University's Institute of Gerontological Studies, and she complemented her education with postgraduate studies in educational psychology at Baylor and rural public health at Texas A&M University. She's a member of the National Gerontological Society and Sigma Pi Omega, the National Society for Professional gerontologist. And Dr. Cummings, it is great to talk with you again. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on here, even though I really don't believe Carol's on special assignment. I think she's avoiding me. But anyway, I'm glad to be here. Glad to I be told here. you before we came on, Carol wanted to be sure you didn't take that personally. Yeah. And obviously you have. <laughs> but only so, a little bit, only a little bit. Talk to me about where families who increasingly will see loved ones uh, diagnosed with dementia. Uh, as the numbers grow, as a people age, uh, we're facing what really becomes a, a, a tsunami of dementia over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Are we prepared for that? No, <laughs> no. We're not even using the right numbers. The, the numbers that the government's counting are only the Alzheimer's numbers. And there are another 127 dementias and they're as much as the Alzheimer's numbers, the, you sort of double the estimate and then go, holy smokes, what are we going to do? Um, because where, where are we going to get the people to do care? And so obviously it's going to fall on a lot of the care will fall back on family shoulders. Well, let's start with dementia 101. Is dementia dementia, no matter which one it is? Well, dementia is the umbrella term for a group of brain diseases that are all terminal diseases. And for the most part, we don't have a great understanding of, of what sets one off or what causes one to begin in a person. So if you've been told that your loved one has dementia, um, that's not the full answer. There's a whole series of tests that are required and then an elimination process to get rid of the ones it's not. And that helps us better determine which one the person is dealing with. But there is a complete and full battery of tests that are required to be done. And yet we don't really have the tools to stop it or cure it. No, no, not at all. The biggest things that we know is that human evolution is very, very slow. And yet in only a few generations, we have seen a massive change in the food that we eat and how much food that we eat, how much sugar we eat and how much we do not move. Um, we move 80% less than our grandparents and they moved less than their grandparents. 
and we don't eat the kind of food we ate growing up. I mean, today's kids meal is a full size hamburger and fries in 1950. So a lot of things have changed in um, just our lifetimes, you know, between the times of our grandparents and now as to our, our diet and exercise. And, and those certainly seem to be contributing factors. I blame some of it on the invention of the remote control. Yes, all of that, all of that. Yeah, that's where it started. I didn't even have to get up and turn the TV. As a kid, I was the remote control. I, I was wondering, uh, my mother had five little remote controls, so right. I knew your mother had one. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. I had a brother, so both of us. Uh, Ronnie, we changed the channel and off we went, right? Did you ever wonder why were there all those numbers on there, yet we only had three channels to start? What were they planning? So, you know, there was optimism in those numbers. That's like a George Carlin routine. You're right. It was a government plot to put those other numbers on that TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't you start? I always wondered who is 27 and what's going to happen with that with that channel. So, yeah. So t- tell me what, what got a young Dr. Cummings interested in dementia? Well, you know, I don't have it in my family, um, although I do have a number of relatives who just drop dead when they're 40. But um, in terms of the ones that get older, we don't seem to really have any sort of dementia process. I actually became fascinated with dementia when I was a press secretary in Congress and uh, President Reagan was the president. And it, it just fascinated me that to me, when I would see him in interactions, that he seemed to be confused. He seemed to be what, and I, Ron, Ron, I know you have a a personal family uh, history where you've been a caregiver. You know, he, he looked like that. And uh, I really began to rethink my career. And that's what took me back to social work and into gerontology as I was fascinated by what I was watching that no one seemed to notice or be active about. It really came from President Reagan. Yes. I'll come back to you in just a minute. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. And we're talking with Dr. Tam Cummings. And as you have heard, her specialty is the field of dementia and gerontology. For whom were you a press secretary? I was a press secretary on Capitol Hill as well. Stenholm, Charles Stenholm out of uh, some district in West Texas. Yeehaw. I was press secretary uh, to Robert Taft Jr. from Ohio. There you go. There you go. We we have have a secret handshake that no one else knows about, so we'll have to use it. Exactly. As you think about, and when you mentioned Ronald Reagan, Carol Zerniel, who's not with us today, uh, had told her husband, uh, Ernie, when they were watching Reagan give speeches, that she thought he indeed had dementia. She saw Mm -hmm. what you were seeing. Now, is that something we could look for in all of our loved ones? No, it's not considered a normal disease of aging. It's just considered a disease of aging. Um, but we think the numbers are, are really related to diet and exercise. It's, you know, the two ugliest words in the English language, as far as I can tell. And when you look at uh, diets, there is a diet that's being looked at now that I, I have to tell you, when I look at it, it makes the Mediterranean diet look a whole lot better. I mean, this is a very, very bare diet. But for any person, we should be really trying to follow heart-friendly heart or diabetic-friendly diets. And as Americans, we 
you know, have to watch our portions. We're, we're real big on home of the one pound burger. And I'm just not sure my heart and my body and my vascular system need that much burger. So um, it, it, it's stuff that we can all do and, and watch for. It's interesting. You eat at some restaurants and the plates are so huge, loaded with food. And I was taught to clean my plate. We all were. You know, there were starving children. We needed to clean our plates. And so without even thinking about it, you automatically begin to eat past when you're full. They interviewed, um, oh, one of the news broadcasters, uh, Peter Brokoff. Does that sound right? Tom Brokoff. And Tom Brokoff, maybe it was. And they asked him, you know, you have to eat out every day. How do you stay trim? How do you help yourself? And he said, every time they bring me a meal, they bring me a to-go box and I immediately cut the restaurant meal in half and put half of it in a box for later. I have a friend so, who does that. Dr. Robin yeah. Eikoff, who's a well-med physician and a medical director, does the exact same thing. Every mm-hmm. meal, bring me with my order a to-go box. And she cuts mm-hmm. it in half, takes it home, eats it the next day. Because you and I were taught that if we didn't clean our plate, look how wasteful we were being. Well, and all those and, kids in China would die. Yeah, we, we didn't know any of them, but they were all going to die based on what I was doing in Lampasas County, Texas. So, yes, I had a lot of power. So did you. As you think about uh, your focus and interest in dementia, you've done a lot of writing on the t- subject. And you've got a new workbook out called the Itty Bitty Dementia Book. What is it? Because mm-hmm. dementia is not itty bitty. Well, my, I set out with a goal of can I write clearly and concisely enough that in 100 pages or so, a person who knew nothing about dementia could pick this book up, read it in a couple of hours, and understand that dementia is an umbrella term for a group of diseases. There are nine common dementias that are 98% of all the dementias that you could be able to teach someone how each lobe of the brain functions and what behaviors it begins to do or show in the person who has dementia once that lobe becomes damaged. And then teach memory people what memory actually means and why your loved one thinks that you're now their mother when you're their daughter. And that at the end, you would be able to have access to tools that I know about that would be routinely used by somebody with a specialty in, in dementia, but that a common layperson, a, a regular nurse, uh, an LVN, a CNA, uh, anybody who does care would not be familiar with. And yet these are all tools that we can use to help the physician understand, even though my person is all dressed up sitting right in front of you and looks like nothing's wrong, because you know they don't look sick until they lose an entire pound of their brain tissue and instead be able to hand the doctor paperwork that they would understand that helps support the family of this is what I've been watching go on with my loved one and this is where they actually are at home when they're not all dressed up right here responding to the social conversation from the doctor which starts with hi how are you oh I'm fine and that's when families want to scream and pull their hair out because they think their loved one just fooled the doctor so I set out with a mission to create a book that someone could start and finish in a couple of hours and at the, at the finish be able to do the instrumental activities of daily living for their loved one, do Bristol's uh, ADL chart, which is different than Dr. Katz's chart, 
um, to do the Hamilton Anxiety Scale, to do the what, IQ what, code. What's the Hamilton Anxiety Scale? Uh, people with dementia have anxiety, and the Hamilton Anxiety Scale allows a family caregiver or a professional caregiver to use a tool I would use if I came to see you about your loved one. I would use this tool as I observe them to determine whether or not they're experiencing anxiety. So when we look at people with dementia, we have to rule out, are we seeing behavior because of uh, untreated chronic pain? That's 50% of behaviors. Are we seeing behavior because we approached incorrectly and didn't realize they can't see us the way we can see other things? Um, what, what type of dementia is this? What stage of dementia is this? And all of those things tell me, help narrow down which dementia we're dealing with or what was the cause of this behavior. And so we've put those tools in the book to help families, help their physicians understand that what I'm seeing in my loved one is not an intentionally combative, out of control person. What I'm seeing in my loved one is someone who has untreated anxiety, untreated chronic pain, is in stage six of the disease, and I need to change a soiled adult incontinent product with something you and I know as a diaper. If you think about it, we, we do this unusual thing to people with dementia, Ron. We say, um, you're a dad. At some point, you got stuck changing a diaper. We all did. I'm not a parent. But I've been stuck. Yeah, I know diapers. And at some point, you had to change an 18-month-old child that didn't want to be changed. And that child flailed their arms at you, and they might have kicked at you. And when you got the diaper half off, they turned and got away from you, and you had to catch them again. They might have even peed on you. I was going to say, when it was a boy, finished, they have amazing, yeah. amazing targets. It's incredible what the human evolution can do in a young child. And when you finished getting the diaper successfully on your young child, you did not go out and say to your wife, I'm telling you what, this kid's combative. We need to call the doctor. We need to get an antipsychotic in him. You accepted that he simply didn't want his diaper changed. The same thing is happening to people with dementia when we're doing very hands-on, intimate, activity of daily living care, which involves doing changes after incontinent episodes, that same person that as a child, we would say they're just being a child because they have dementia, the staff can believe they're doing this behavior on purpose, then they get labeled as combative, and then they get given antipsychotic medications, wow. which now, are hold, not, not allowed. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. Yeah. Uh, it's important what Dr. Cummings is saying, and we're going to come right back to it. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on Special Assignment today. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. Gerontologist, an author, a lecturer, an educator. Her itty-bitty dementia book is out and available. We'll tell you how to get it. And she just brought up something that's really, really important. We were talking about 
uh, somebody uh, in a care facility, uh, whether it's a nursing home or assisted living, uh, who gets labeled as combative, what happens to them? Dr. Tam, what happens? They get treated differently. And the part that we're missing in our communities, whether it is skilled or assisted living or memory care or care at home, what we're missing is that these people have brain damage and nothing that they're doing is on purpose. And so we have physicians, we have nurses, we have professional staff who do not understand this person has brain damage. And every day, more and more of their brain dies until finally there's not enough brain left to sustain life. The brain runs the body. So as the brain becomes more and more damaged, the body works less and less efficiently. And part of that means the five senses are impacted. So I no longer see the way other aging people are seeing who are aging normally. And if a staff member doesn't understand that my vision has changed because of brain damage, my hearing and ability to understand and translate sound, noise, and words has changed because of brain damage, that I don't necessarily see the world the way you're seeing it. In fact, it can literally be right in front of me. What my grandmother would have said, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. And yet they can't see it because of brain damage. And so... We have staff that don't understand these people are not behaving this way on purpose. Every behavior has meaning. It's either directly linked to an area of the brain that's damaged. It's linked to untreated chronic pain, the pain that you develop over living 70, 80, 90 years. Uh, there's pain that comes with each decade that the uh, behavior of the person can be caused because I walked up too quickly and they were naturally a fighter. And so when they saw me, I appeared to come out of nowhere and they instantly defended themselves. Once they get labeled combative, they then begin to be looked at differently by the doctor and by the nurses and by the staff. Well, they're combative. So let's give them antipsychotics. And people with dementia aren't supposed to get antipsychotics. We know that once your loved one's labeled as combative, they get less interaction from the staff. And when they get interaction, the interaction is more hostile. People with dementia have brain damage, but they can still pick up on the emotions of the person around them. So instead of helping our staff understand this person's reaction is related to something you and I did wrong or untreated pain, untreated anxiety, untreated depression, an, a, a lack of understanding that their vision is impaired and that this is very, very complex care we're doing, but it starts with they have brain damage. And if they get labeled as combative, Ron, you and I both know they get treated differently, harshly. They're not um, going to be encouraged to come to activities or encouraged to socialize. They get isolated by staff and by other residents, all because of that label. Yeah, we can't bring and, Mrs. Jones here. And you Jones and I caused the label. Can't bring Mrs. Jones here. She's dangerous. I, I actually had somebody who's building a memory care building tell me last week they were going to build this community because there was such a need for it, but they weren't going to take anybody with behaviors. So wow. even now we've got somebody who's about to invest millions of dollars in a, in a tangible building who has said, I'm not going to take anyone with behaviors yet. Everybody with dementia has at least one behavioral episode a day. It may be minor or it could be, I threw glasses at the staff until I ran out of glasses to throw. So it could be just any number of things that can happen. Now, I want to come back to something you brought up a while ago because it really caught my attention. So your mom, your dad, your spouse, 
uh, has dementia, uh, but they don't look sick. Uh, and they don't look sick, you said, until they lose a pound of brain. Mm-hmm. And how that much, causes how much brain do we have? Three. Yeah. So they yeah, lose three. a third of their brain. Before they ever look physically sick. So one of the things, Ron, people will say to me is they're clearly describing a loved one who's in stage five, which is called moderately severe dementia, which means they've already lost a half a pound of brain tissue, which means they have the mental equivalency of a 12-year-old, an eight-year-old, and by the end of stage five, a four-year-old. But the family will, will continue to argue and go, but they're so healthy. And they don't understand that they're not healthy. The brain runs the body. It's just the body doesn't get impacted until stage six of the disease. And then the person will lose one third to one half of their body weight. And so families can be totally unprepared for the devastation that occurs to the body in stage six of the disease. And will the itty bitty dementia book help people understand that progress? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, in In the tools that are in there, there's a staging tool for uh, all of the dementias except the frontal temporal dementia group because they are just such a unique set of uh, dementias. They have their own staging tool. And that tool is also in the book. The actively dying staging tool is in the book. Um, how to test for anxiety, how to test for depression. The IQ code is in the book. And this is a, a really helpful tool for families because it, it, one of the answers, Ron, is Yes, I saw this behavior 10 years ago. You and I know the average family in dementia is a caregiver 10 years, whereas the can- cancer family caregiver is a caregiver about two years. So families very slowly and subtly begin to take on all of these activities that you and I do independently, do for ourselves. We drive ourselves, we cook, we shop, we do our finances. Uh, we can bathe ourselves, transfer, ambulate, toilet groom, dress, eat. We can do all of our ADLs. And families don't realize very slowly and subtly they have taken on this care until the point of if your loved one's at home and yet you stage them in stage five, Ron, that's a family caregiver doing the work of 12 professional caregivers. And if they're in stage six, that's 16 professional caregivers. And that's why the death rate is so high for the family caregiver. Are you better off not knowing that's where you're going to end up as a caregiver? I think you're better off knowing this disease can kill me too. So I need to take precautions to make sure that I take care of myself as well. And, you know, Ron, they keep building these super glamorous, gorgeous, private pay, $10,000 a month buildings, because I guess they think everybody has that kind of money. Yeah. And a lot of folks are going to have to do care at home, but you can balance that with respite. Um, your loved one can go into respite care for a week or two weeks. And that may be enough to help a family member get their feet underneath them. Some family members, um, you know, basically as parents, I mean, I'm scared of my parents, Ron, you were scared of your parents. Uh, Some of, sometimes children don't help or siblings don't help because one person seems to have it all under control. Give them stuff to do. Give your family things to do to help you, to help you survive this because the the death rate is incredible for the family caregiver. And when they go, who takes over the care? That's something that usually, there's two things I say, Ron, that really get people's attention. One is three in 10 family caregivers will die before the person with dementia dies as the direct result of the stress of care. Wow. 
that gets people's attention a, a, a tremendous amount. I'm sure. And, and then the other one is after your loved one dies, if you haven't been taking care of yourself, the odds are very high that three, another three will die due to the stress of care after their loved one dies. And those numbers went up after COVID. So what the family caregiver is doing is critically important. And not everyone has the funds to go to a, a fully private memory care. Not everybody has long-term care insurance. So for some families, it'll be skilled care. And uh, I think sometimes our skilled facilities get a bad rap, but our small town facilities, your local community skilled facility, they, they do great care. People do good care. It's just making them aware that your loved one is not doing any of this behavior on purpose. It's all being driven by brain damage. I got to stop you right there. We are flat out of time. How do we get a hold of the Itty Bitty Dementia book? I think the easiest way is go to Amazon.com. Perfect. Dr. Tam Cummins, we thank you so much. I learn so much every time I talk with you. Appreciate it. Thank for you, Carol Zernio, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zernial and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.